This is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Tip to the far boards and Miller held in left point. Hit on the slot for Horvat. He scores. There. Face back into his own end by Anders Lee. Turned it over to Nelson. Gets it to Lee. Left circle. Shoots. He scores. Anders Lee on the four check gets the pass from Nelson. And the Islanders reestablish their two-goal lead as another Canuck defenseman turns the puck over in his own zone. With the instant reaction from the players and coaches. And here he comes to center with speed. Matt Barzell to the Vancouver line. Left wing, Casey Sezikis to the goal. He scores! Casey Sezikis off the rush. Rips it into the top shelf past Spencer Martin. And it's 5-2 for the Islanders. On the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks, another rough effort on home ice, getting throttled 6-2 by the New York Islanders, and this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Randy Janda and, Ran- and Bick Nazar. Get your thoughts into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox. 650-650. You can also grab a phone line. 604-280-0650 or toll-free. 1-888-275-0650. The Canucks, two games under 500. Randy They've now lost three games in a row, and the Vancouver Canucks find themselves sitting in eighth worst as the eighth worst record in the National Hockey League. So I'm going to pose this to you. I'm posing this on Twitter as well. Coming in hot right away. All right. What do you got? Do you see the Canucks trending above, over, under? Eighth worst in the NHL. Where are they going to be? Ooh, okay. Three straight losses, 6-2 loss, and with that schedule coming up. That's the key here. That's the key. In the next month or so or next couple of weeks, it's going to be tough to be above that. I'm sorry. It's going to be very difficult because you've got that Southeast trip coming up, boys. It's going to be a difficult one. It will be. And, Bick, I know we talked about this so much, right? Sometimes a bad season, a tanking type of season, comes earnestly. And that's kind of happening with mm-hmm. them this year, right? Some injuries. They didn't try to tank. They went on signed McKay, brought Miller back, and signed Besser and everything. We know that. But the way things are going, this is really giving me 2016-2017 Colorado Avalanche vibes. Not as bad because the Avalanche team had like 48 points or whatever. Like, yeah. They're not going to be that bad. But that's a team that had Nathan McKinnon, Gabriel Landeskog, a rookie, yeah. uh, Mikko Rantanen. They had Tyson Berry. Uh, they had... Uh, Shane O'Brien up. was on that team, Shane by O'Brien, the way. Uh, <laughs> We've talked about that with Obi back yeah, then. Yeah, <laughs> and hey, they were flawed young guys at the time, but there was a lot of talent on that team. And they still ended up having being a sub-50 point team. Sometimes even a talented team can have a sub subpar season. The way this is trending, guys, and the, and how tough the rest of this month is, Colorado's coming in here on Thursday. Forget the playoff discussion. Is this team even going to be out of the bottom ten of the league this season? That's a valid concern, especially when you start looking at regulation wins. The Canucks have ten. The teams that have less, the only teams that have less, San Jose, Anaheim, Chicago, Montreal, Columbus. It, we don't talk about those teams as if they have their, uh, you know what, together. No. So, uh, so if you're keeping that company when it comes to regulation wins, mm-hmm. it is concerning. Sat, no question, no question. And looking at tonight's effort, similar story to that Winnipeg game, maybe, where hey, good effort in the first period, at least better effort than the opposing team, and the opposing team ups the effort, and what happens? You're not able to match it. Here's right? Thing, was was even effort the problem tonight? Not necessarily, no. It's just uh, okay. execution was. We've gotten some yeah. text, and, and look, at some point, it it was a two goal lead, and they're over trying or they're less interested, yeah. or whatever. Like that's valid. At some point, it did break, but when the game was up for decision, was effort the issue? 
I don't necessarily look at effort being the problem. No, it was, it was those execution. First 35, 40 minutes. Yeah, it was execution. I, yeah. And, and my thing is, like, there's selfish plays all along the ice. Or, yes. I don't know about selfish, but very individualistic plays all across the ice. And you watch this Islanders team that have been together for a while. Yes, they've had a coaching change, but they play as one unit all along the ice, yeah. and they swarm together all along the ice. There were moments in the neutral zone where Canucks are trying to break out and someone's going up the off wing, and they're, like, trading off guys to pick up off-the-puck skaters. Yeah. yeah. And you just look at that and say, How, when does that ever happen for, a Canucks, for, for someone wearing a Canucks logo? A, a small little detail like that. There's so many moments where someone's trying to do too much by themselves. Ethan Bear, that giveaway. Yeah. There's no reason for that to happen. But it's one person trying to do too much. Defensively, guys go out of their position to try to make a play, and it opens up space for someone else. It just happens all over the ice. That, that to me, is more a bigger issue than being disinterested in a lack of effort. Well, I, I, So, yeah, I mean, it's not like they're not trying. I do buy that. Like, they're not, you know, completely. Tonight. Like, there have been nights where it's like, come on, what is this effort? But it's still not good enough. No, of course. And, and like, not even close to being good enough. Like, it, it's a passable effort. Yeah, if you're trying to get a C in school, right? It's like, yeah, you show it up, and you put in the bare minimum effort. For well, you're describing my high school experience. <laughs> well, just say you're doing the bare minimum to get a passable. A yeah. C is like passable, right? It's yeah. like it's not horrible. You showed up and you you did whatever. I mean, that's the type of effort they had. It's like check check out these numbers, for instance. The Canucks had 13 giveaways tonight, and and usually giveaways are rather tough to accumulate. Yeah, yeah. they had 13 giveaways. And they only had three block shots. The New York Islanders had 18 block shots. Nine in the first period. Nine in the first. So from an effort standpoint, one team laid it on the ice, laid everything they had on the ice, the other team didn't. Yeah, they tried. Yeah, they showed up. Yeah, the effort was passable. But it was not nearly as desperate or as engaged as the opposition was. The opposition was ready to lay it on the line tonight. The Canucks not to the same degree. And if you go back to that first period, the Islanders did not have a good first period. They looked sloppy. They looked like they, in the first 10 minutes of the game that they were headed towards an L. That's yeah. how bad their effort was. But what did they do? They were blocking shots. In the defensive zone, they were committed. They got a, a great goalie, but in front of them, they were doing the best they could, could do to at least limit what was going on in the, in the defensive zone. And then they straightened it yeah. out in the second period. They upped the intensity. They upped the forecheck. I think moving Sezikis onto that top line with Barzell was huge because they couldn't handle the forecheck and the intensity of that line after that. But, yeah, one side brought it. The other side didn't. Sezikis, mm-hmm. yeah, played a much bigger role than I yeah. thought we would expect to see because this team has a lot of you know, smart, hardworking players. And, man, he was all over the ice He's, tonight. He can play the, down the middle. He, yeah. Remember when they had the highest-scoring fourth line in hockey – he was the guy that was leading it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was really impressed by by him as a player. But Matt Barzell, I feel sorry for Luke Shen on that one play where he's just coming straight yeah. at him. And you, there's nothing you can do as a defenseman. you got to close off the middle, and that keeps the, the side open for Suzuki. he did have help to his left. Yeah. He had two guys there, and you open up the wing for Suzuki's. But, uh, but it's again, far out enough where you're saying, okay, maybe the goalie will have that angle, right? Sure. But does it come down to Here's trust? The thing. It trust. It's, it's, it's again, it's one player trying to, hey, I'm going to be the one to make this play. You do have two guys to your left. That's fair. Do you yep. trust them to make a play? Different story. But you watch that play. It's two guys to his left. It's it's Miller and I think OEL yep. to his left. And so maybe you're like, oh, I got I to gotta check Barzell's speed coming to the blue line. 
but you've you vacated space to open it up for Casey Zizekas to come down the wing. But pick at that same period, or remember the period before, Anders Lee is allowed to walk straight in, yeah. straight in. So. When you talk about trust, it's kind of hard to have trust when something like that goes down on the ice the period before. Well, they, they don't, and there isn't really this this big bank of success they can look back on and say, hey, we did these things and we won. And I was making this point to Dan on the pregame show as well. When your team isn't having any success with what you're planning to do, like, you know, Bick, you talk about this all the time with the Seattle Seahawks, for instance. It's not like they always have a great plan, but at least they get buy-in to their plan, sure. right? Yeah. And if you get buy-in, you're going to be successful, at least as successful as you can because people are pulling in the right direction, the same direction. This team, everything they try, they keep changing their ideas and their tunes. And if you're part of any environment, if the leaders, and that's the coaches, come up with ideas for you to be successful, and that doesn't work, and they keep changing their ideas, what faith do you have in the system and the ideas you're trying to execute. So that's why part of the reason you're seeing them go rogue all the time is these guys got no faith in what they're doing. They got absolutely no faith in one another and in any system or any style of play that they have. Is that on the coaches fully? No, but you grab some responsibility for it. But I think the main reason you're seeing guys trying to do other people's jobs is because that person doesn't trust his teammate to do his job. You don't trust your teammate to stay in the right lane. So that's why you vacate your space to go somewhere else because you don't trust the guy you're in the battle with. And you see that numerous times in a game. You've seen that. We saw that. We talked about the Luke Shen opportunity and and the Barzell goal or from the Barzell assist on the Sezikis goal. But there's numerous times in that where either somebody is picking up the responsibility and doing too much or there's certain moments where you're looking around saying, all right, who's going to occupy the space? Is it going to be me? And that Anders Lee hitting the post, you know, if that was a goal, uh, that's something that we're talking about probably at length because that was a bad look. It was like the seas parting essentially, but it goes both ways, right? Either you have the trust in yourself to say, hey, I can do this and nobody else because you don't have trust in the other teammate, or at the very least, you're looking around to see, all right, who's going to do make the play? Is it going to be me? Is it going to be the other guy? And we saw a little bit of both from the Canucks tonight, and unfortunately, defensively, that second period, guys, Tyler Myers, that was a rough second period. Yeah, mm-hmm. that, was a, that was a, he was fighting it, and from whether it was the penalty, whether it was the, the you know, the, the, the pass to Barzell that scored, he ended up sniping on that. There was just multiple multiple breakdowns by players in that second period and maybe it's trust maybe it's trying to do too much but it was you know you can be competitive for 20 minutes enough because the islanders are maybe not looking right mm-hmm. but after that it, yeah it, i think I, it's trust issue guys i yeah. honestly don't know what happened in the second period to tyler myers it's 90s yeah. night maybe he listened to shook ones in the, in, in, uh, during yeah. the intermission <laughs> could have been man because he looked like a shook one in the second period it was Boy. it was odd can you believe that he's, he was a plus six coming into this game That's this wild. season? Again, like he's, again, had struggles. We've talked a lot about during his entire tenure. But as you mentioned, like he's plus six on the year. He's been. To yeah. the good, and so that's not to say, season. and that's not to say, hey, plus minus is a good stat. No. But this year, considering how much the Canucks are giving up, it's 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 really interesting how few players they have that are plus players. And he's like, he was third on the team on plus yeah. on plus minus coming into the game. And he wasn't the only one. Ethan Bear in the third period yeah. was having a rough time too. Where the goal is the one that we're going to focus on, but there were I think four or five other plays where he did not look confident on the puck on the right hand side. So I think Tyler Myers is going to wear it, no question. Ethan Bear is going to wear it probably as well, but there was a, a number of Canucks that were either MIA. Other than Bo Horvat picking up two goals, who can you really yeah. say had a great game? And, and Ryan and Shemanis just texting in, yeah, too much individual play. We need short, direct pass. Boom, short, direct pass. Boom. How many times tonight did we look at, and you know, whether it was Quinn Hughes and Ethan Bear, 
just trying to do go D to D with one man pressure, yeah. and it was a struggle to get out of the zone. And where was the support to be able to pass it to someone in front of you? <laughs> there were just so yep. many moments where, you know, at, at, I know the defense are, are going to wear it tonight because there were turnovers that led to goals. Yep. But there were also moments that – Who are you passing to, man? Yeah. Are but you available to take that pass? Who, who was yeah. there to take it? And yeah. this is why I go back. It's like there's no team support constantly. And the Islanders were very clean, just pop, pop, pop out of the zone. And if you go back, and we've referenced these teams a lot when Rutherford and Alvin took over. But remember the Pittsburgh teams that were having success. Their forwards were available for those passes. Yeah. It's the responsibility of the defenseman to make a play ASAP, but it's also the responsibility of those forwards to be ready for it. And if you go back to that generation of Pittsburgh, those guys, they knew what to do. The system was working. They would buy into the system. And that was Phil Kessel. That was everybody, right? Yeah. Here, you're not seeing that right now. And that's where I think long-term, how do you turn this team into one that gels and plays the same way? We're not seeing that right now. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll bring this up again. Another example, I'll bring up the Seahawks again, and let's go back to the Super Bowl against the Thanks New England Patriots. Thanks for avoiding the Dolphins, by the way. Yeah. Well, I mean, hey, you're right. I mean, how hard do you have why, to w- Why are we talking about the Seahawks Patriots in a night when the Islanders and Canucks play? <laughs> what, are you just trolling me in 2023? <laughs> Is this so. your resolution? This What's going on? I'm going after Vic Nazar in I'm triggered, man. No, but, but to, to the point, what I'm trying to say here is it's not just about the guy sending the pass. It's yep. how hard are you working to be open and yep. receive the pass, right? Like, how hard are you battling for it? And I did want to just stick that, stick that why, one into. Why is this the example? <laughs> it's I'm always outraged. Good. <laughs> but, like, how hard are you working not to get bodied off and yep. be available for a pass or your body positioning? Oftentimes, you see Canucks players that are waiting for a pass. Don't let somebody else just stand in front Casey of them. Casey Sezika was playing like Malcolm Butler tonight. No question. Just, no question. <laughs> and just bodying guys off the puck. I'm shook, man. <laughs> this is not fair. Let's go to the inbox. All right. Well, speaking <laughs> of the inbox, and we, we always ask for text per 60, uh, jokes per 60. This one says Canucks have played 18 home games. They've given up five-plus goals in 11 of those 18 games. So we also take facts per 60, and that's a strong pack, fact per 60. 11 games where they've given up five-plus goals. On home ice, out of eighteen, that's remarkable. Like you, you have to try hard to be that bad. Yeah, and a couple of things too, though, right? The PK yet again, where you have a a power play that's gone one for thirty three point three percent, and they score on you as well. Like, yeah, they're tough looks around all around tonight. You know what's funny too is you know we've talked about seasons from hell and teams have had those obviously. Yeah. This isn't necessarily bad. <laughs> That's the frustrating thing. It's like you want to see an honest product on the ice when you come to Rogers Arena, obviously, and have a competitive environment. And at the same time, you look at this and say, okay, if they, it, it, to your tweet, sad, it's like, are they going to finish better or worse in eighth position? If they finish worse, it's like, okay. It's not that bad. Will you get a high draft? I mean, hey. That's the frustrating bit of all this. It's like, You're kind of just stuck in purgatory of what this season looks like. So what you're saying is 90s night – was celebrated tonight. It wasn't the 94 season, but this was more like the 98 season, the 99 season. Yeah. Okay, so be- so before we let you go here, Randy, yep. is is this the night where any discussion of a playoffs the rest of the season died? I think within the team, probably not. They're, yeah, they're, they're always going to say it. You know what thing. the message will be. But as far as like realistically sitting here and talking about this, I mean, yeah, I, I, 
can we actually have a realistic conversation okay. about getting back into a playoff? Knowing, it, knowing how this works, though, if, if the Canucks shock and beat Colorado, which they are capable of doing on it's one game, right? And there'll be one, one game. game under 500 instead But my two. point is, though, you get a couple of wins even on this road trip. You know that conversation is going to come up again. So I'm going to say it's a little early. Based on play, yeah, they haven't looked good in the last three. I, I agree. But I still think it's a little early because I know what happens when this we, this team wins a couple of games. <laughs> Guess what? It's going to be they're 500 again. There's a chance. But, but 500's a, not even good enough. It isn't. It isn't. This is the, like 500 gets heading into this game. Best team in the league. Okay, but realistically, seven points out of a wild card spot before tonight started. That's tough enough, man. Yeah, that's tough enough. <laughs> and here's the thing: straight up, <laughs> coming into this, like even Bruce today talked about. Yeah, we were very aware of the challenges of this schedule: Winnipeg, Calgary, New York, and he rattled off the schedule perfectly. Yep. Twelve games down the line, it was really impressive. But they are aware of the challenge sure. that's ahead of them, and Bruce tried to sell it as a positive thing: of Hey, look, you you can't approach this in fear, and you have to take it as a challenge, which is the right framework to put it in your mind. And yet, their challenge is four, two, three, two, six, two. Yeah, that's how they're rising up to a challenge. Yeah, it's a rough spot. But Randy, great stuff, man. Calling the game alongside Brendan Batchelor, and we'll see what we have in store for what they have in store for us on Thursday when the Canucks host the defending Stanley Cup champion Colorado Avalanche, who have oh yeah Nathan McKinnon back in the lineup. Yeah, and uh, Valerian Nutrushkin might be coming as well. So uh, <laughs> get ready for that one. But. Talk to you guys on Thursday. Godspeed. That's Randy Janda. Fantastic as always alongside Brandon Bachelor's call. Keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. You can also grab a phone line, a 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. And, uh, Bick, the text inbox, it is jumping up with a lot of uh, text so far. Jokes for 60, the Canucks, that's all. The, that's all. They're, they're the joke. Just say the Canucks and text that in. It's like the aristocrats, I guess. Oh, Just say that. See and that's the joke. Uh, Mike and Willoughby, they have achieved consistency, consistently bad. Uh, Marcus and Gibson, is Brock going to score more goals than Russell Wilson TDs? Oh, I like that. I like that. Uh, I like that. Strong coming into the Dunbar Lumber six. Uh, Dunbar Lumber text message inbox 650 650. Call from Caribou. Please, oh, please let this roster remain untouched until deadline week. After watching the Bedard OT win on his own, I'm more engaged and excited with every loss it's coming to the inbox yeah i mean it, that's kind of the way it's trending right now and you know this is the, the point i'm trying to make here and you've been talking about as well here Bick. i mean the canucks right now are what seven points out in their division i mean in their conference and they're closer to being in the bottom five than they are to being in a playoff spot. Mm-hmm. They're four points out of being a bottom five team, and they're seven points out of being a top eight team. And again, just, in the conference. just based on and why I was kind of joking about the season from hell, it's like where this regime is, if they get a top three pick, there's not going to be any complaints of like, oh, wow, what a lost opportunity this season was. They're still trying to put their own stamp on what this group is going to be. They haven't even gotten the opportunity to hire their own coach. They're still kind of doing the surgery to a roster mm-hmm. that is mostly a previous regime's roster. You get a top two pick. You win the lottery, whatever. They're going to look at it and say, okay, yeah, that's that's fine. Whereas if you're the St. Louis Blues right now, you came to the season with a lot of expectations. You're the Florida Panthers right now. Mm-hmm. You make that big trade for Matthew Kachuk, and you're looking at this and you're thinking, we're 24th in the league. We really have to make some sort of a push. That's that's a bad season. The Predators right now, they make a big trade in Ryan McDonough. They re-sign Philip Forsberg. They're looking at this and say, we had to be better than a wildcard team last year. Mm-hmm. Those are tough seasons. For Vancouver, sitting 25th in the league now, you just kind of look at this and say, 
hey, whatever happens, happens. We're, we're fine with it. So long, so long as there's an honest effort on the ice that fans come to the rink and say, hey, we're getting something out of this. Yeah, honest. I mean, I, I don't know if the efforts on homeites have been honest enough, consistently speaking. No, and, and that's a big problem, obviously. But I'm right. just saying for results, for if, if you're this management group, it's kind of like, oh, no. Yeah, it's like, oh, oh no, no, another loss. Well, and coming into the season, obviously the expectations were to make the playoffs, mm-hmm. but the biggest concern about how the season is going is does the poor play make it harder for some guys to get moved that they were hoping to move? And that could be part of it as well. I know a lot of people are asking to our text inbox, can they continue with these coaches for the rest of the season? Um, and management needs to do something here. Um how can they just sit back and watch this performance night in and night out? How do you uh, – how, how, this doesn't set the right culture for the players. What is management waiting for to change this culture? That is Frankel from Burnaby. So if you're firing Boudreaux, but at the same time you're okay with getting a top five pick, I think your biggest concern about the culture is if irreversible things start happening. But what have they done recently? They've dispatched all the young guys to the minors anyways. Hoaglander's gone down. And, and, and this text coming down. here, it's like, how come Hoaglander and Pudkolzin can't get in the lineup with this? And it's like, well, that's more about protecting some of the young players and putting them in a spot where, by the way, the Avatar Canucks having some success here recently. Well, so if you're if you're trying to so-called tank, or if you're trying to if you're if you're not sold on this season, why do anything to try to make it a lot better significantly? And if you're worried that the environment's going to be bad here, then why let the young guys be exposed to it? I think if anything, the fact that they're sending these guys away is a sign that they don't want to really, really want to move off from the coach. And if they have to keep the young guys in Abbotsford all year, I think so be it. Go ahead and do that. And I think that's what, what they're going to continue to be doing here. A lot of reaction on the text inbox, 650-650. Uh, let's go to the phone board, 604-280-0650. You're toll free, one 275 Let's start off in Coquitlam where Paul is on the line. Paul, thanks for calling in. Uh, what do you have for us tonight? Hey guys, uh, yeah, great, great game tonight. Um, but uh, yeah, I actually want to uh, talk about Brock Besser. Um, okay. So, uh, just watching the game, watching Matt Barzell, Brock Besser tonight. I was reflecting back on the twenty, what was it, twenty eighteen Calder race, and Brock Besser was the runner up to Matt Barzell for the Calder. And watching the game tonight, and watching the two of them individually, I mean. They're not even on the same planet as, as one another. I mean, it, it, I find it hilarious, but, you know, kind of sad as well. I looked at the uh, other top five, uh, the top five finalists, I guess, for 2018. It's Kyle Connor, Clayton Keller, and Charlie McAvoy. I mean, Brock Besser is not on the same, you know, it's like not, he's not even in the same league as those guys. And I, I remember uh, Henrik Sedin during Brock Besser's uh, rookie season, said, quote, Brock Besser is the most natural goal scorer I've ever played with. So I'm just sort of flabbergasted, and I'm sort of wondering how on earth does someone devolve from being a player that a Hall of Famer says you're the most natural goal scorer he's ever played with to whatever Brock Besser is now? Because he, I mean, he looks so out of place in in the nhl game today and i mean that was four and a half years ago so i don't know i just uh i've been thinking about that all season but just watching tonight and watching him against matt barzell it really sort of uh made it clear that there is something seriously wrong with him so just interesting your thoughts on that 
Hey, uh, Paul, thanks for the phone call. I appreciate your thoughts and, and the comments. And we've wondered a lot of the same things about Brock Besser. Like, the shot doesn't look the same since his rookie season. Part of it, hey, he's being defended differently. People aren't giving a lot of time and space, and he doesn't have a lot of speed and explosiveness to create that for himself. But even when he does get the shot off pick, it looks nowhere near the same shot that it was before. And it is it is... It's weird because he's had productive seasons since, and he's been, you know, a decent player and everything, and there's reason for why he came back. But that shot, to Paul's point, it's hard to put your finger on. I know he's had the wrist injuries. He's been injured here and there. Back injury. But, like, like, has he physically declined so much that he can no longer shoot the puck to the same level that he used to? So in the Canada division, the North division year, did we look at – because, again, that was his best season. Yeah. I know Paul's talking about him being up for Calder, but his best season was the North Division year. 49 points in 56 games, 23 goals in 56 games. Do we look at him that year and say, hey, the shot was gone? Now, there was a lot of in-and-around-the-net type goals. Yes, a lot of dirty goals. But by and large, you would say, okay, the, the shot is somewhat back. And, yeah, it's just such a departure from that even. Look, he's had some very serious injuries, and so maybe there's a 5% decline from where it was. But even just beyond that... It, the, the, he was such an intelligent player on the ice in the Canadian Division year. All across the ice, winning battles. You don't really even notice him some nights. I, I had a struggle even just trying to find him on the ice this evening. Uh, he played 17, 17 minutes and 12 seconds, but it was hard-pressed to see you know where he had contributions. I, I guess like he swung the puck to OEL in the first goal, but even that, it, it's just a... You know, slide it up the the boards to the D man. It's not a special play. It's one that you'd expect a lot of players to make. Exactly. It's like it's a pretty simple play that you should be able to execute properly, right? Uh, let's continue on the phone line. Let's go to Burnaby, where we have Brian on the line. Brian, thanks for calling in. Uh, what do you have for us tonight? Hey guys, yeah, um, just just about um, the uh, uh, the yeah some of the trade deadline discussion that. Um, uh, that was had in the I think the um, uh, second uh, intermission. Um, I I personally think that uh, you know that um, management owes it to um, the fan base to you know to to make to make to make some uh, to make you know obviously make the necessary decisions on Horvat and Kuzmenko and but in doing so you know start start to <clears throat> start to kind of materialize the um, you know what the what the long term vision for this team looks like i think they owe it to the fan fan base you know because we have to you know suffer through this team being capped out and having these listless performances and yet and you know with the with the man with the expectation having been plus at at the beginning of the season and because because you know nice because yeah i think you know performances like tonight are are absolutely absolutely embarrassing are and are inexcusable and yet yeah it it um you know even even uh even if you sent all the young young guys down like you know i i personally i question whether or not we can really um how much long can we really last the entire season with this like coaching staff like you know to, even though Pedersen and you know guys like Pedersen and Hughes they're not the you know young youngest youngest of the crop like you know does does their does their kind of feelings on the long term you know outlooks you know, still, still, math, math, math matters. You know, right. just to the same, yeah. So, yeah, to the same extent, you know, as like trying to protect the young players and foster a, you know, more, more, 
more hospitable, like developmental environment. So yeah, my two cents. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks for the phone call, Brian. And you know, as far as what are you doing for Queenie? Somebody else texted in here. It's like, hey, what what message does this send for guys who are slightly older? Um, I think it was Bill and Pip Meadows, like JT, like uh, Quinn Hughes and um, and Elias Pedersen. Like, what what message do you send them if you're selling at the deadline? Well, I think what message are you sending them if you're not putting together a team for beyond this season that's going to be competitive and winning? I think those guys understand it too. And so, I mean, it's you, still a business. If you're out of winning, players understand. They understand. Yeah, and yeah. especially the way this season is going, like I understand. But as far as management has to do something, I agree they have to make trades. But if you're looking at how the season is going, and honestly, like if you're trying to make any trades to try to make the postseason or making any decisions to try to make the postseason, I think that's the wrong decision to make. I don't think that's the type of no. thing that you'll see. No. So why would you fire the coach when they're trending towards where you want to be anyways at this stage? Again, th- that's why I kind of take this nihilist approach to what's happening here. It's like, hey, whatever happens is fine. You compete, you get two wins. Look, players and coaches are always going to try to compete and get a win, right? So you don't begrudge players and and coaches do that. I know there's people that want to tank and all that sort of stuff, but like, what are you day, trying to salvage? Yeah, and if it goes poorly, that's what I'm saying. It's like you kind of just take it in stride. It's like okay, we're our lottery odds got I think they already better. I, they already missed the window. Like if you were going to make a move to try to you know change things around, it has to happen around the mark when you made the move last year, around the 20 game mark. We talk about it, and it maybe waited a few games too long, the 25 game mark last year, and they ultimately fell short a little bit. So you look at it and you say, if you want to make that type of a change, it probably has to come in the first 18, 20 games for you to give yourself a chance for you know to have 60 some games to go the other way. 20 game mark is traditionally the the spot. It's so far gone now. You missed the window on it. So I just don't understand if if you're firing the head coach. To me, it makes no more makes no sense anymore. Like the young guys are already gone, and if you're trying to sell Pedersen and Hughes long term on it, then make good trades at the deadline, and then sit them down and talk about your plan and what you're doing this off season in order to become a better hockey team. I don't think you can worry about sending the wrong message about selling. The wrong message is to double and triple down on the same team that's coming up short year in and year out. That's a far worse message. And as far as if you're advocating for trades for change and yeah. what the next future looks like, again, we've detailed this so many times, I'll, I'll issue it again. Finances are dictating anything. I wouldn't worry about the evaluation of players and saying, oh, they're they're doubling down on these guys and want to keep them till February, mid-February and March because yeah. they believe that there's a push that's coming. Okay, even if there was a push coming, where do they get to? A wild card spot, maybe. That's not good enough, and this management group knows it. The The successful run that they had last year was not impressive enough for them, right? Mm-hmm. And yes, okay, look, they brought back JT Miller, I understand that. But the change that you want, to me, is more about finances than it is about evaluation of talent. And the finances across the league, and every day that goes by, not only do other teams accrue more cap space, the cap hit remaining on your assets continues to go down. Now, after today, you know, Bo Horvat goes down to 2.9, somewhere near $3 million left on his salary for this year. So, retaining half of that, it's like 1.5, 1.45. Every day that goes by, that number decreases. And cap space across the league increases. Yeah. There's going to be a threshold. It's like it's not surprising in the last week, in tw- you know 20 days, suddenly it's like, hey, the Rangers, can you make a trade with Bo Horvat? You know why? Because suddenly there's the financial threshold that the Rangers have crossed that right now at this moment they have their projected per cap friendly $1.6 million. 
So if you retain half on Bo, it fits under $1.6 million. That's not a surprise. And what's going to happen is you keep moving along here. Yeah. Suddenly it's like, well, Calgary has money. L.A. has money to be able to take on that. We've talked to a couple of people from Winnipeg here on the station the last week because they played Winnipeg. Yeah. And there's some advocating for Winnipeg to try to make a trade from Winnipeg for Bo Horvat. But you know what? They just don't have the cap space right now. Get give away. it three weeks. Give it a month. Give it six weeks. Suddenly it's going to open up. And wow, all those opportunities that we talk about are going to change drastically every day that goes by because you retain at the deadline. I talked about it. It's 600K, give or take. The math is about 615, somewhere around there. That's going to open up for a world of teams that accrue cap space every single day. Yeah, and I mean, and you know, the, the entire point is there's no money around the league to what Bick is trying to say here on the salary cap for most of these teams. Like somebody is asking us, does management consider waiving Besser by himself? To for what purpose? Nobody can claim him. The only teams that can claim him are teams that aren't going to put that claim in, like Chicago, like Arizona, rebuilding hockey teams. So what's the point of doing that? If anything, all you do is sink a guy's value. So what's the point of you even going through that? There's no money around the league. So if you even put him on waivers, it's to send a message, but it's not because somebody's actually going to pick him up because nobody will touch that contract right now. You have to withstand this era of this pain. You have to be able to withstand it. I know there's a lot of good solutions coming in and saying, hey, they got to do this, they got to do this, they got to do this. The most prudent thing is just grit your teeth and bear through this. That's the most prudent thing. And that sucks to hear because yeah. people want resolutions fast, but the the opportunity to make the best move happens with finances that clear up as well. Well, somebody's texting in, and mad dude in Richmond says, why, why do you guys keep saying this? This shouldn't be trading during the season. Don't make a trade to make a trade. Management's doing the right thing. I mean, are you watching the same team? They're mediocre. None of us are saying don't make trades. What we're trying to say is there's no money around the league. Yeah, I, I think what people get mixed up when we talk about this is, oh, we're saying don't make trades. I almost dropped a, uh, you know what, but like go out and make trades today. Yeah. Go make 17 trades. I'm all for it. Like go trade at pretty much anybody except for two or three guys. Like go and make trades. I'm all for making the trade. It's one thing to stand here and pontificate and get all, you know, go and grandstand about they need to go out and make trades tomorrow. Well, that's being disingenuous because there's no money around the league. Like the point we're trying to make is how many trades are happening significant around the league right now? Next to none. Literally none. The Canucks have been the most active team on, on the trade market this season. Since the season's like, they made the Dickinson trade, they made the Riley, you know, for, for Stillman, they made this trade for Studnika, and they made the Ethan Bear trade. That's half the league's trades. Yeah. And they're all insignificant minor trades because there's no money around the league. So, hey, sure, like, I'm all, they need to make changes. But when you look around the salary cap picture, if you're looking to move money off your books, like people say, it's like, you need to clear cap space. Well, how are you clearing, clearing cap space if you have to trade Connor Garland for another con- player making $5 Because that's the only trade you can make today. That's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not saying don't make trades. I'm saying, why go and trade a guy for another guy who's the same player with the same type of contract and is not giving you any assets? Like it's it's the reality of the situation the Canucks find themselves in, but I do agree. By the deadline, like you got to make a bow decision, you got to make a Shen decision, you got to try to do other things. But to sit here and say go and make trades, why aren't they making trades? Is being disingenuous because of the landscape across the National Hockey League right now. Yeah, I don't look at this and saying that they're beholden to this group. Uh, I do think there will be changes. Uh, it's just a matter of when. And again, it makes the most sense to just bear through this and take the flamethrower treatment right now. And this management group, again, in the very short term so far, look, they were willing to make a tough decision on on something like Bruce Boudreaux in the summer and say, we'll take the ire from fans in the short term 
for a very popular coach, but we're going to make this decision, and if there's a flamethrower treatment, we're going to withstand it. Mm-hmm. And right now they're going to have to withstand another uh, onslaught of chorus of booze maybe on home ice and just constant negativity. Do you have the conviction to withstand that and say, hey, the trade will come, but in the short term this is just what we got to do? Hey, you have to find trades. By the deadline, you got to start making them. All I'm saying is as we're sitting here and talking today, part of it is the reality of the landscape. But by the deadline, they got to find answers. Absolutely. Keep your thoughts coming into the text inbox. You can grab a phone line as well, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. We'll get to your text messages, your phone calls, and we are going to hear from head coach Bruce Boudreau as the Canucks Central postgame show rolls on on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Now more of the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Join the discussion. Text us at 650-650 or call us at 604-280-0650. This is the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. The Islanders win the faceoff at center, and here's Bailey, right wing, into the Vancouver zone. Shovel the backhand pass through the Canuck crease to the near corner, and Myers turns it over in the slot right onto the tape of Barzell. He scores! Matt Barzell beats Spencer Martin over the glove. After Tyler Myers put the puck right on his stick and the Islanders extend their lead, it's 3-1. Islanders go on to double that score. 6-2 victory at Rogers Arena over your Vancouver Canucks. And this is the Canucks Central Postgame Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Big Nazar. We'll get to more of your text messages and more of your phone calls coming up in a second. And we are going to get to head coach Bruce Boudreaux here in a moment. But, Vic, before we go to take a phone call here and uh, get to head coach Bruce Boudreaux and player audio, there's a, a lot of texts coming in here and uh, some frustration, some... Some sober thoughts, but obviously Canucks fans are are pretty frustrated with a lot of things they're seeing. Yeah, and we uh, got a text here because we're talking about the timeline of yeah. when you can make some trades. And Yash texts in a good point saying, hey, but Bick, what happens if Bo gets injured? And if you go to St. Louis, look, they just had a couple of injuries to some of their UFAs as well. Uh, Tarasenko yeah. and Ryan O'Reilly. It's a very real worry. I don't know what the solution is to that outside of benching and, and sitting Bo Horvat, but you're going to do way worse damage to how you conduct business. It, it's a very valid concern. I, I just don't know if you have a, a solution to that. You just got to go through and kind of hope. That's the risk you play here through all of this, but sitting Bo Horvat is by no means a solution for me either. No, it's, it's one of those things where you got to be close to something or something has to materialize for you to be at the stage where you're sitting him. It, it would have to be days, I'm talking. like yes. Maybe one, max two games. I could see it a couple of weeks ahead of the deadline. Again, if the market's developing and they do it because they, they feel like they're pretty close to something, that can happen, but we're still a ways away from that. Uh, Raymond says, you guys say that if they trade Miller, it shows they have no plan, but clearly they thought they were good enough to bring him back. If they now change their plan, doesn't that mean the same as if they traded a Miller? How confident are we the plan has even changed? I have no confidence in this org. I think one thing that's, and I've been trying to mention this a lot of times, and ultimately management's decision-making is going to dictate this here, Bick, but, and I mentioned, like, the reason I said, I said this during preseason. We went to uh, Abbotsford. We were watching the game between the Canucks. And I think it was the Edmonton Oilers uh, at the Abbotsford Center, right? And we, people were texting in when we were doing a mailbag that day. And then one of the big questions was, hey, uh, how in are the Canucks on this season? Are they going to be buyers at the deadline? What are they looking to do? 
And one of the takes I had at the time, and this was based on the conversations I had during the season, was I'm not sure how married this Canucks management team is to this roster this season. Even if they're competitive this year, if they have opportunities to do things they weren't able to do this offseason, they'll still look to do them. So I wouldn't be shocked that even if this Canucks team's a few games over 500, they make a trade nobody expects for them that's a long-term thinking trade. Because all the moves they made, yes, they're trying to be competitive, but it's all with the plan of two or three years down the road versus putting these pieces together. Even the Mikheyev deal... The signing to them wasn't, hey, we're trying to make the playoffs this year. Let's just go and get what we need. It was, he'll help us this year, but he's a piece we feel like is going to really help us in two years when we're ready to win. So when, when you hear about the plan, the plan wasn't just about this year. It's about putting some pieces together for a longer-term success here, right? But with how things have gone this season and how little flexibility they've had, it doesn't look very good. But I don't think the plan ever was. We fully believe in this roster. We're doubling down on this roster. And we're doing everything we can to keep these guys together. If they had their way, I think they would have moved two or three guys off this roster that people are very frustrated about right now. Number 57, Myers, if they would have had their way, they would have traded him. Garland, if they could have traded him, they would have traded Garland as well. And I think there's a hang-up then to say what's preventing them from having their way. Is it an ownership thing? Is it a... uh asset valuation thing? Is it a finances thing? Look, it could be a mixture of all three. I'm not going to say it's any one thing in particular, but I would lean towards finances being the biggest hurdle in some of this. And we've talked about signing bonuses. We've talked about contract length with Connor Garland and Brock mm-hmm. Besser and the, the, the corner you were painted into of having to do with that RFA situation. So some of it, their hands were tied. But I think there's an idea to the texture's point saying, a, it kind of resembles what we've seen in the past for this hamster wheel like roster build of just trying to scrape by and get to the bare minimum of relevancy just to get to a wild card berth or a th- Pacific Division three seed so you can see some home playoff dates. Mm-hmm. Now, to your point, how beholden have they been to this group here? We'll we'll see if if true change co- comes, but. I, I'd be stunned, and I'd be there with everyone come March 3rd if there isn't the type of essential surgery that is done. I don't know if it's going to be as widespread, like six, seven trades, but if the fundamental ones do not happen come March 3rd, I'll be right there on the firing line with everyone else to say, like, what is happening here? You can't run this down and say, bring this back, and we're going to be fine. No, this, this fundamentally does have to change. It's just the leverage point of when you maximize value uh, for your assets across the league and it, it, it increases every single day because the money clears up every single day. Precisely. Augusto and Richmond, you guys are like my doctor. Doc, I think my team is sick. I think my team needs antibiotics, a.k.a. trades. My doc, you don't need antibiotics. You just need to go home, rest, and sleep it through. No, what we're saying, Augusto, is you need surgery, but your date of surgery is a month away from now. Because just like trying to get surgery in BC, you got to wait. You can't just decide, I need knee surgery, I'm going in tomorrow. There's That's a waiting incredible. list. That's the example you want to be making. That we're uh, trying to Kim say. from Tawasin, I was at the game tonight, absolutely shocked at how bad the Canucks defense played. Except for Hughes and Shen, positional play and decision-making was atrocious. The team defense game can always improve, but nothing will compensate for how poor their defense plays and is constructed. Kim from Tawasin texting in, and yeah, honestly, like the Ethan Bear play uh, on the goal, you know, we can talk about structure and all these sort of things. It's an amazing turnover. Yeah. It just it, it's unbelievable that 
You know, you're not even under that much pressure. It's not as if Nelson and Lee were just hounding you and stick on the back. They were just kind of shepherding you towards your own zone and just waited for this mistake that might appear. And sure enough, Ethan Bear kind of spins around and fires past. And uh, Brock Nelson was more than happy to just say, thank you, slide it to Anders Lee, who, who converts the goal. But, again, there's there's nothing you can do structurally and say, oh, this is what we got to do on neutral zone regroups if the decision-making is going to lead to stuff like that. No, no, absolutely, and that's what we're seeing way too much of. Now, we are going to get to your phone calls. Hold on to your phone lines. We'll get to those after we hear from head coach Bruce Boudreaux. And here is the head coach after a 6-2 loss on home ice and looking for answers yet again. Well, you know, we keep giving them goals. <laughs> it's uh, You're not going to win games. I mean, the first... First uh, in the second period, the first two goals we gave them. The third goal, the power play goal, we sort of gave them. We didn't get it out. And then in the first shift in the third period, we give them another pass. So you keep giving teams passes and and putting pucks on the tape, you're not going to win. Do you think some of those, what's leading to some of those puck management issues, are guys trying to do too much or trying to make big plays? Well, uh, it's not because they're doing too much. They they had full control of it all all of the time. The three defensemen had absolute full control of the puck. They just gave it away. Bruce, how do you explain the difference between the first period and the latter 40 minutes of the game tonight? God knows. I mean, I thought the first period was as good a period as we've played. And it's like soon as something bad happens to this team, they the adversity we cannot handle. And... It, it seems like, oh, here we go, and then that's it. As long as we've got the lead, we're fine. But when we get behind, it's um, it's not a good thing. As I mean, it just it seems like the wind goes out of everybody's sails. Bruce, this is the 16th time this season that your team's given up at least five goals. Mm-hmm. What has to change? Give up less. What about the commitment to defend, Bruce, when you only have five block shots and they have... We had three block shots. They had had 18. We mention it every day. We talk about it every day. We put it on the wall every day. Um, We understand it. I know that's something that has to be done. I can't go out and make them want to block shots. Just, you know, uh, you can't do it. I mean, but... I mean, they know if we want to, if any team that has any success, they they do that. That's a commitment. And every time we do do it in the games that we, we win, we show it on the video the next day to see what equals success equals this. No success equals the the, the other thing. So, But you also you always talk about the want and the will. Bruce. Yeah. You're wondering where the will is. You're talking to the wrong guy. Yeah. I want to win every night. Yeah. Does four third-period shots reflect the same story? Well, no, what it reflected to me was what their commitment is. And you could see every time we touched the puck that they were on top of us. I mean, uh, that's what real good teams do. And they don't allow you to to come back. They didn't need the goaltending in the third period because they just outworked you. You guys went such an amazing run in the second half last year, and the math begins to get daunting yep. at this point. If you're going to get into the mid-90s in, in point totals, how do you handle that given that? It, it well, I mean, you, you can't, climb. if you look at it as the, as the steep climb, and you sit there and say, okay, here we need 
27 wins out of the next 40 games, uh, then it, it's a daunting task, which is why I try to just go by week to week. And if you win the week, eventually you get there. But, I mean, if you say you need 10 wins in a row, it's pretty hard to do. But if you say you need two out of three wins, then it's it seems like a lot more palatable that you can get the job done. But, uh, um, I mean, I think nobody's stupid in there. They know the daunting task. They know the uh, the wins and losses and, and everything. I mean, um, we're just fortunate at this point that it seems like the most of the teams in the Pacific Division don't want to jump up and run away. You know, so, I mean, it's... Uh, uh, they keep giving us life, but I mean, eventually we've got to get our own life, uh, and not count on other people winning games or losing games. So, and that's commitment. And uh, you talk about commitment to defend. That was the whole key to the thing for the last five games. And uh, you can only preach it and practice it. I can't go out and do it. That is Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux after a loss on home ice against the New York Islanders 6-2. And uh, it's pretty honest, Bruce Boudreaux, very, very frustrated when asked about how the team is playing. He said, uh, you're asking the wrong guy about wanting to win. I want to win. A bit of a shot at the rest of the team. Um, I mean, when the coach comes out and essentially says, I want to win, I don't know about the guys in the locker room, what does that usually say, Bick? I mean, he's like, you're asking the wrong guy. <laughs> I want to win. That's, you know, like usually – and he's been critical and everything, but that and and he's kind of gone off a little bit before, but that's about as frustrated as you'll hear a coach be. He's essentially saying these guys don't want to win bad enough. Yeah, and to be honest, is he wrong? I don't think he's wrong. Not with how he's played. Unsigned text here. Uh, I think this is from Silver and Black Canuck. Uh, so, so sounds to me like Bruce is saying this team has zero heart. And sure enough, I think that's fair. No, it was one I was making today on the People Show and talking to Yannick Hansen. It's I think there's a problem because we're having all these JT Miller discussions and attitude yeah. and all this sort of stuff. And I think there's a difference between having a locker room problem and having no culture as your problem. Both right. are those both are fundamentally problems. But I very much view this as a lot of indifferent attitudes. Yeah, I mean, like I was, I've been saying before, I don't think this is a situation of there is a toxic room where they hate each other and there's one, you know, so-called cancer, so to speak, in the room. I hate that term, but that keeps being brought up to our text inbox. I don't think that's the issue, Bick. It's more what you just mentioned. Do these guys, are they, are they willing to get uncomfortable to try to win? Or are they just kind of happy just skating by? And he referenced block shots and all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. right there. You know, markers that you traditionally look at in the game. And say, well, that team's trying hard. Yeah. And tonight, that's a, a, a leading edge. And at the same time, Sal, we sit here and think, like, every time Bohorvay goes to block a shot, you're like, oh, I hope he doesn't get hurt. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, it's, I, it's, it's a strange position to be in. Totally, totally. So I, I was just saying on air, we were just talking about, you know, Boudreau was talking about the record this year and last year. And I was saying, and Eddie Gregory brought the numbers out. At the same point last year, the Canucks had the same record as they did last season. They had 35 points in 37 games. They have 35 points in 37 games this year. After the 37-game mark. Yeah. Yeah. Exact same point total. 
But now they were on the upswing in that. They were in the upswing. They were in the upswing. I mean, they had already. They actually had gotten over 500, and then they had some games postponed, and things kind of got pushed back a little bit. Remember all that stuff that kind of happened with them? They were over 500, lost three Mm -hmm. in a row, and then they kind of stabilized again and pushed towards the end, and ultimately came down short. But basically, what they have to do from this point on is be even better than they were last year, and even better than last year, you still miss the playoffs. But I mean, by six six points. points. So it just kind of tells you. Where they find themselves. Uh, 6.50, Keith and Coquitlam. Penguins are a better team without Rutherford and Alvid. Miller with strike one. Besser strike two. Lazar strike three. Ownership strikes out once again. Uh, I think that's a little harsh on some of them because uh, Besser, again, they were painted into a corner. Had to try to make the best of it. And they kind of got a draw out of that. It's not a win, uh, but that one was certainly... Uh, a, a tough spot. What are you laughing at? I saw a text message come in. Can we read it? Yeah, you should read it. It's the first, the, the latest one. Uh, mine's not updating. Oh, okay, then I'll, I'll leave it for now. But uh, <laughs> jokes for 60. Absolutely <laughs> tremendous. Oh, we can read this. <laughs> yeah, read uh, it. The only thin blue line Miller stays away from is the one in his defensive end. <laughs> Oh, wow. People are just absolutely savage on the text. We're here for the, six oh, or for the uh, jokes for six. My goodness. All right. Uh, let's go to the phone boards. We'll get back to more of your text messages. And we have some audio from Canucks players. A lot of interesting thoughts coming in uh, from Bo Horvat and Ethan Bear. I do want to get to that coming up oh. in a few minutes. But let's go back to the phone boards. And, and we'll start things off uh, with Matt in Vancouver. Uh, Matt, thanks for calling in, man, and holding on to your line. Uh, what do you have for us tonight? Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate your, uh, your time taking the call. Uh, big fans of the show, thank you so much. Um, Thanks, I want to talk about the lack of an, of a, as a Canucks fan. Like, I, I, I was at the game tonight, and I couldn't believe this, but wh- like, I got free tickets to the game, and I thought about it, and I was like, should I, should I just not go? Like, in, I'm 29 right now. In the 20-plus years that I've been a Canucks fan, I've never turned down free tickets. And I was about to do that tonight for this game. And after this effort, like, I should have, I think. Um, but, like, I just want like, to talk about that because I just, it was, I just found it weird to, to go through that as a fan of, of this team. And second point I wanted to bring up was being at the game, I would honestly say this was probably Ethan Bear's worst game as a Canuck. That giveaway mm-hmm. was horrible. Yeah. Um, we know, I know you guys talked about systems and, and kind of like the process and the transition game. These are guys that just, they don't care. Like they're, they're throwing pucks behind the, behind their back. Like they have eyes on the back of their head. Um, no, no transition game, none of this. They just, they simply just don't care. And, you know, I saw after one of the Islanders goals, I think it was Miller. I'm not surprised. He shot the puck into the corner and it slammed the, I, I just, the attitude of some of the players right now is just super down. They don't believe, you know, I, I, would, I think about the Sedin era where guys would bleed blue for the city and you just don't see that, right? And mm-hmm. the last point I wanted to make, I'm more, I don't want to be a Twitter armchair GM, but I'm more on the side of re-signing Miller and, i sorry, re-signing Horvat and trading off Miller and maybe retaining some cap. And the reason why I say that is because, I feel like Horvat is a better character guy in the locker room um, compared to Miller. Like, like the Sedins were pretty much, and I saw this online. I, it's not a comment I, I, I'm going to make, but um, the Sedins were the guy that kind of groomed Horvat into kind of being that next captain. And 
now that he's there and he's at this point and he's producing and pretty much carrying the team on his back, you want to trade him off. And yeah, the hall might be great, but think about the culture. Think about the character in the locker room. And, you know, I just, I just don't see that with Miller if you stick with him moving forward. That's all from me. Thank you so much. Hey, uh, thanks for the phone call. That's Matt in Vancouver calling in. I mean, the one thing I will say about the whole leadership stuff, like why be so afraid of moving the captain of a team that's underachieving year in and year out? I mean, and I'm not laming tonight's game. Bo Horvat had two goals, right? Mm-hmm. Like he played well tonight. I mean, he, 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 he's been playing well so far this season. But I don't understand the fear. And I'll trade anybody except for Hughes and and Pedersen, honestly, like if you want to talk about trading guys, go ahead. I mean, t- let's talk about trading anybody. Really, I don't. Uh, I'm all for it as long as you can get value or get something that helps you we out. Usually, wait till till I might get here when we have those conversations. Yeah, so. we usually, but we'll do it here now uh, before we get to it and, and all that. But I, I, I think the one thing to keep in mind here is like as much as we're sitting here and talking about leadership and we're talking about you know JT, you know he's showing bad character and everything like who's the leader that's elevating this or and helping the group overcome this and holding the accountability for it like i i think the leadership in general it's lacking but that the includes thing. the captain that includes everybody so I, when i hear about like oh here's a leader you can't let go the thing this team is having trouble with is leadership here's the thing since JT's arrived right so 2019 and not including this season okay it's 207 games what do you think the record is since JT's arrived? 207 games. And, 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 and again, if, if, you're, if you're saying, like, hey, this is the group you want to keep, and that's the culture. They were 99, 86, and 22, which is good for 531 win percentage, which is good for 19th in the league. Mm-hmm. Again, it's a fine opinion to say, hey, they should move JT and re-sign Bo, and that's what you want. That's fine. But you're, you're, you're looking at like a slightly above 500 team. And that's why there's this argument to make this change to say, to say, even if you want to commit to this group, it's still not good enough. No, it's not. That's the bigger problem. It's, yeah. it's, look, if you want Paul Horvath to stay, again, that's fine. But they just might be 500. You might be happier with that 500 because the personalities might be a bit different, but they're still probably just going to be 500. Yeah. And this is about pushing to something greater and windows come and go, man, for teams across the league. And I, I've made this point before. It's it's a tough act following the Sedins. Oh, well, it is. That's, that's a Hall of Fame entry point that you got to try to live up to. And eras end. And the, the post-Sedin era was supposed to be Levy, Vertanen, Besser, Horvat, And you kind of went two for four with those. And reali- realistically, it's a one and a half of four. Yeah. But that window expires and it's going to expire by March 3rd and the rest of it come the summer Brock Besser will find out if there's a resolution that but the next window became Patterson and Hughes and now it's about fostering an environment where that group can succeed and that's kind of where I see them going as well, and we'll ultimately see what decision they make. Uh, this person texts an unsigned. Agree. Trade Miller, sign Horvat. James and Qualicum Beach. Uh, the lesson here is don't overpay a player for their performance in a contract year, but rather based on their performance over several years. This is exactly why we need to trade Bo this year. That's James and Qualicum Beach. Uh, LJ says the team has no culture, and the dude wants to keep the captain that he says is all about culture, WTF. So a bit of everything here on A lot of what, what culture what, are Yeah, in. a lot of that's coming in as well. All right, uh, we'll get to more of your text messages. Let's go for one more phone call before we get to some Canucks player audio as well here. Let's go to Victoria where Na- Nas has been very patient getting on. Thanks for calling in, man. Uh, what do you have for us tonight? 
Oh, thanks for taking my call. Um, I just want to switch gears and talk about uh, the draft and ask, what do you think would be the first overall pick? Like, what would be the cost of the first overall pick, considering it's Connor Bedard? Like, three first-round picks? Like, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, offer-shooting the guy uh, after his... Um, offer-shooting him, sure. considering that he might be in, like... Yeah, uh, I think we just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. I think phone is breaking up, but thanks for the phone call there, Nas. So I think the question generally is, what would it take to acquire the first overall pick? I, we've had this question before coming to the inbox, and I, I've used the Scarface line. Everything, Chico. Everything. The world, Chico, and <laughs> everything in it. Uh, the five Infinity Stones, can you get all five of those? I mean, honestly, it's, it's going to cost... It's not going to be three. First of all... Three first-round picks doesn't even start a discussion. It's, it's, I'm laughing if that happens. It, it, like, so, so basically, for, for Vancouver, it would have to be Pedersen and then a bevy of picks. Yeah. Like, and, not, and I'm not saying Vancouver should do that, but that would be the ask. And even that may not do it, considering 18-year-old player, maybe he's the next McDavid, the hype is so real with him and so huge with him. I just think he's... It's, it's a price that nobody's going to be able to pay because it's... It's it's, it's, a, it's a it's a priceless pick in the NHL this year potentially. I'm not even sure if you're allowed to trade picks that far in the future. <laughs> That's how many picks you got to trade. Can you trade 20 picks in a row? <laughs> no, like genuinely, I, I'm just trying to like you're allowed to trade into the future. But, but how, you pass, how far into the future are you allowed to do? Is it four years, five years, six years? I don't know. No, I don't know if the NHL has any limits. To be honest, I don't I have to look that up in the CBA. I don't know if what the limits are in the, yeah. in, the in the NHL. I know in the NBA there are limits on how many picks you can trade and how far in the future you can do things. I don't know if that's a, a thing in the NHL. But I guess the way to answer this uh, to the caller's point. If you if you won the first pick, what would it take for you to trade off of it? And whatever that number is, add ten percent. Yes. So if least. Vancouver won the lottery and every other team is gonna ask, be like, Hey, what would you give up? If you won the lottery, what would you trade to give it up? And if it's nothing, then that's your answer. Absolutely. And that's kind of where you're at. It's just not realistic, I don't think, to be able to trade for the first overall pick if you're not holding the first overall pick this season. All right, now we'll get back to more of your reaction, and we're going to hear from Bo Horvat, and we're also going to hear from Ethan Bear. Interesting comments he had, he made, and you are going to want to hear that. As the Canuck Central Post Game Show rolls on, it's Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Back to more Canucks Central Post Game Show coverage. This is where you talk Canucks on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Miller plays back top of the point for Pedersen. He'll carry to the right boards. Is pushed into the wall by Pajot, trying to force a pass to Hughes through the middle. Tipped to the far boards, and Miller held in left point. Into the slot for Horvat. He scores. Bo Horvat has his second of the game on a one-time drive from the slot, and it's 3-2. The captain wires it by Sorokin. Bo Horvat, two goals in the game, 28 on the season. The second highest goal total of his career, 31 last year. He's at 28, 37 games into the season. He's going to be smashing his career high as long as he's healthy and in the lineup. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bik Nazar on Sportsnet 650 here. And keep your thoughts coming into our text inbox, 650-650. In jokes for 60, we love them, like Brandon and Poco. I have a suggestion for a new endorsement deal for JT Miller at Thierry promoting their Apple turnovers. 
he wasn't that bad with it tonight. <laughs> no, the team had a lot of turnovers, um, but he wasn't as bad w- with it tonight. One thing, however, was very clear. The Canucks were not willing to throw the body and, uh, and also block shots, and that's something that Bruce Boudreaux mentioned. I can't force him to go out there and block shots. Man, Bruce Bruce was not happy. Incredible statement. It was incredible. He, uh, you're asking the wrong guy. I want to win. And again, we mentioned this. Like he he plotted out this challenge for this stretch. He's very aware of how difficult these games are going to be. Mm-hmm. Winnipeg, Calgary, New York, 0 for three. We got Colorado coming in. Stanley Cup champions coming to your building. You know, I was talking to Yannick today, just saying, you know, did you use those games as benchmark games? And say, yeah, like. You want to get up for those games, and that's what's so impressive about Boston and Tampa and Colorado. They stay at the top of the standings all the time, and they have to face teams' best efforts. The Canucks do not give teams their best effort. They haven't. Consistently, they have not. Or if they do, it's the San Jose's of the world. It's like, hey, we can get some points tonight. We can score some goals tonight. And, yeah, it's it's all well and good to to, to put up. How many goals have they scored on San Jose so far this year? Is it 14? Mm Mm-hmm. No, it's more than that. 16 goals against San Jose this year. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, again, it's all well and good to get your eyes real, real big for San Jose. Hey, listen, a lot of guys have padded their stats this season, but not winning, playing a lot of winning hockey. And we've seen a lot of that so far this year. Uh, let's continue on the phone board, 604-280-0650. Uh, let's go to New West where we have Mike on the line. Mike, thanks for calling in. Uh, what do you have for us tonight? Hey, thanks for taking the call. I just took my mom to the game. It was a Christmas gift, and I had to apologize to her. It was the worst gift I got her this year. Oh, man. You know, the Canucks, they didn't show up. In the beginning, it looked like they did. They actually negated me out of one of my bets. I was hoping it would be a 0-0 first period. Of course, the Canucks are going to score a meaningless goal, but that, that's on another note. That The turnover from that, I didn't even know who it was at the time. I was sitting in Section 121. I had a great view of it. Ethan Bear, it was horrible. It's like he backed it in. He should have gotten an assist on that. It was nice. He was he was playing for the other team, you know. And I don't know, you know, you guys, you you take people off the trade block, this and that. We can't trade this and that. I say leave everybody available, you know. Like don't make anybody untouchable because the moment somebody becomes untouchable, is the moment they can kick back and relax, you know. Like they're they're not going to be moved. This move anybody. If we can get a decent trade for anybody on our roster, take it. And last thing I want to say. The twins during the intermission spinning their little sticks, like, man, you guys got to get a little better entertainment than that. When I saw America's Got Talent, I thought there was going to be talent. <laughs> Who's paying to see these kids, man? I'm sorry, but, you know, I, I, hey, Canucks, you got to do better. I'm still a fan, <laughs> but I was embarrassed tonight, boys. You got to do better. And, hey, the coach, he's not the guy playing on the ice. Don't be firing him. If this guy can't motivate the men, then get him out. But it's not his fault. And, how many games are you going to win when you let in five goals? You know, one out of every six shots go in. It's like, come on, man. You know, you can't blame the goalie in all of them, but you got to stop some shots. The team has to play better, period. Leave nobody unavailable. Trade whoever. Thank you guys for taking my call. Hey, uh, thanks for the phone call. Uh, Mike in New West. He, he's on board trading everybody and anybody. Taking um, shots at the intermission entertainment. <laughs> even well. them taking catching strays here tonight, man. It's rough. It's rough. I mean, uh, Jeffro texted in and, you know, similar sentiments about going to the game and how rough it is to hear that, but kind of the truth as well. This um, one says we were at the game on Saturday. Listen tonight on the radio. If they don't care, why should we? And I think, you know, valid criticisms. On Boudreaux, I'm not expecting Boudreaux to go anywhere and on, on everybody being available. I mean, the thing is, like, they can trade Pedersen if they want to. They can trade Hughes if they want to. Like, that's not the issue. It's just... That concerns me. 
Yes. But I don't uh, think they're going to be out there doing to, that. Just uh, to answer the question as well, I'll have to bring this up uh, if you want to vamp here for me, Sat. Uh, just because he asked how many times are you going to win uh, when you give up five goals against. So there have been 259 games like that so far this year. And of those 259, there have been 20 wins. 20 wins. That is rough. So you don't win when you give up five goals. <laughs> it's kind of hard. That is amazing. <laughs> 20 wins. Tremendous. I wonder how many of these are Vancouver as well. Probably uh, quite a few. All right, let's get one more phone call in, then we're going to get here from Bo Horvat and Ethan Bear. Uh, so let's go to Warren in North Van, who's been patient as well. Warren, thanks for hanging on there, buddy. Uh, what do you have for us tonight? Hey, how's it going, guys? Um, so I was at the game tonight, uh, and I've been at many games uh, over the years, and uh, it's same as usual, man. Same, same, but different. Same, same stuff I see on the ice. Um, I'm personally actually a Red Wings fan, um, and I, I have seen the Red Wings tank, and they're now on the upswing. And uh, obviously, like Steve Eiserman is a big part of that. Uh, but we did some smart drafting and all that kind of jazz. And I just like comparing these two franchises eight years ago and to now. It's the Canucks are kind of have no hope right now for the next five six years uh, in my opinion um and i think a lot of the fans can see that and you know i just just turn it to ash turn the whole thing to ash it's over sell what you can let's get some hope back in this market you know i i grew up in vancouver i was once a canucks fan in ancient history but man it's over gotta get over it the fans are ready we just gotta push it over the line. Uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, thanks, guys. I really love your work, and uh, keep on, keep it on. Take care. Th- hey, thanks, Warren. Appreciate your phone call there. And you know, at, the hope is going to have to come, and we're waiting for it. Hey, I will say this: when people are saying like make trades, and we're all for making trades, mm-hmm. they are into the new year now, and we are starting to get to the stage where give yourself a round of applause. You've made it to January third. Hey, I'm not saying any day now the Canucks are going to make a trade, but we're starting to enter the time where it's like, okay, now we're getting a bit closer to things starting to happen. So we're getting there, and hopefully we start seeing the There was a stretch set where we talked about, hey, the first available opportunity to even talk trade yeah. was early December, mid-December. Yeah. That was like late October we were talking about yeah. that. And now you, you made it through December, you're into January. Again, we just got to do this together. We're here for you every single night, every single post-game show. We're here for you. I get it's frustrating. I'm equally as frustrated, but it's just you got to get to the next day, and you just got to withstand this pain barrier and have the conviction to get through it. On top of this management group has got to have the conviction to get through it. And yeah, and the conviction to be, make the trades that do become available for them. Uh, but this person is asking, what's the word on Pearson? Is he being shut down for the year? No, still on the men trying to Skated come back. Today. Skated He's getting a bit closer, still a ways away, and then Thatcher Demko could even be on the trip, the five-game road trip, but we'll see ultimately if that does happen. Uh, we mentioned uh, player audio, and the one we are going to listen to right away here is Ethan Bear. And just listen carefully to this availability and some of the things he talks about. And we'll break it down on the other side. Here he is talking about what happened in that second period. I mean, I don't know. It's tough to say. We, um, I don't know. Could have been. Honestly, I don't know. I just think, honestly, in our second period, we, been, we just didn't come out as good as the first. Um, and we started turning pucks over and... and 
kind of not, not supporting one another enough. And um, yeah, that's just that's the way the league goes. And then you try to make plays that you know you shouldn't make. And you know what, um, this league's too good. Other teams capitalize on them, and that's just the way it went tonight. Is that what happened on the four-two goal? Um, was that my turnover? Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, that's, I mean, I don't know. I just tried to make a nice play to the middle, and I, I should have just went off the wall with it and just got it out of the zone. Um, but, yeah, that's not me. I just got to just gotta make sure I, uh, there's not a guy behind him. I didn't, I didn't see that guy, and, um, you know, that's not me. Where do you guys go from here? What do you have to do to turn things around? Honestly, we just got to come to work tomorrow, um, be ready to, you know, just, you know, honestly, just stick together. That's the main thing. Um, you know, it's it's a long year, and it's obviously we're already on the second half. So we just gotta, um, you know, just keep trying to build as a team. Um, yeah, not not get too frustrated, and just take it uh, one day at a time, one shift at a time, and, and you know, not um, honestly just focus on ourselves. I think that's all we need to do. I think that's the easiest and simplest thing we can do. And um, yeah, that's it. How do you diagnose where the game flipped between a pretty solid first twenty and what happened in the latter two days? Uh, I mean, I think once they once they kind of got that power play goal, I think the m- momentum kind of shifted, and um, you know, I think that's I think that's where we gotta you know be better and just simplify our game. Um, uh, yeah, like some like the Islanders are a very simple defensive team, and they're patient, and um, you know, I think they waited us out tonight. I think we just need to keep it simple every time. I think once we get to try to be too skilled and too crafty, I think. Um, mistakes happen, and um, once you do it too much, but I think we just gotta simplify our game and, and just try to weather the storm and, and try to get our uh, our group back. And uh, we just didn't do that tonight. Spent last season on the team near the top of the standings. <clears throat> Is it daunting being near nearer the bottom of the standings if you look at the playoff race? How many points you right now? Um, no, it's not really daunting um, because I know what what Carolina does so well um, and and it's and it's something that honestly they're working on every single day and every single practice and it's uh it's their attention to details you know if I look from Edmonton and and compare them to Carolina like just the way they prepare themselves it's so it's um you know it's it's night and day difference but um you know for us like we just gotta you know just make make sure we're prepared every practice and every game to to get better um and you know that's the mentality we got to have. And you know, obviously this one's tough. You, know, you never want to lose at home. It's always tough when you lose at home. So just um, you know, get some rest tonight and, and just come back to work tomorrow. That's Canucks defenseman Ethan Bear. And what he said at the end there: um, when I was in Carolina, night and day difference in terms of how prepared they are, attention to detail. And then he mentions a lot different from Edmonton. Just kind of randomly what? mentions Edmonton. We signed Ethan Bear just because he knows the rivalry here. He's taking shots. No, he gets – so he was like – so instead of being like, oh, Vancouver, he's like – he goes to Edmonton to kind of talk about the difference in attention to detail. But I think where he's going with that is pretty clear about the big difference that Carolina was. And he's right. Like this team doesn't play like they're prepared. Their attention to detail isn't there. And part of it is the leadership group because a lot of this also comes down to, we heard management talk about this, it's self-preparation. It's practice habits. Your leader setting the tone, setting the standard. And that's why I'm like, why are we so married to the leaders of this team? Like, come on. Like, hello. And that's a, by the way, that's a new player showing up and having the perception yes. to say, or the, 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 yeah, the, the perception to say, 
yeah, I don't know if it's happening here. <laughs> no, it's not. And then the other part of it, it's too, is... It's not something that's established. It'd be one thing if it was Tyler Myers after all this time, and, and he's talking, and it's like, yeah, we're, we're doing this. Like, there's someone brand new that's coming in and saying, what's happening here? I just came from Carolina, and albeit I didn't get into the lineup, I understand that, but, boy, we were really on some details. It's not happening. Here. No, it's not. Like they're not playing the right way, and and the guys aren't doing consistently the things you need to do to win win hockey games. And the coach isn't doing it either. Like the coach isn't getting these guys on yeah. the track, and he's frustrated. And he's you know he talked about it tonight, but the coach isn't getting those guys prepared every game. And and we got a tweet uh, much earlier uh, during the game from MJ in Van City he says you guys need to spend some time with the coaching or the Canucks hmm. demon this season. It's same personnel. Uh, Myers, OEL, Hughes are all playing so much worse on their own end compared to last season under Brad Shaw. It's far from simply a personnel problem. Now, Thatcher Demko masked a lot of the issues that were happening last year. Again, goals against looked fantastic, but overall chance yeah. suppression was not there for the Vancouver Canucks last year. Most of that is bearing out. Is there worse play under... Bruce Boudreaux, Mike Yo, relative to last year with Travis Green, Brad Shaw, Brad Shaw, and Bruce Boudreaux. Yeah, but it's it's honestly so marginal that the goaltending is just no longer masking it. Just overall, this team has flaws. And we don't make up some of the flaws with puck management and just smart, simple plays. A lot more stuff gets exposed. And then you lose games, and boy, oh, those issues look a lot larger. So... There is this. I'm surprised, actually, Bick, that the Canucks have been this bad this year. Like I thought, okay, maybe things don't go right, but I, I don't see them as being a sub 500 hockey team. But they've been so porous that they, this is where they find themselves now. Well, the right? thing is that is their range of outcomes are so large. We, yes, that's the thing. It, it's what's happening right now is very believable because you need a certain mental constitution that this team just doesn't have. So when things go wrong, they go wrong in a big way. Well, and 100%. And to your point, the mix isn't right and a lot of things that are flawed about how this roster has been put together. But there is enough talent on this hockey team that they shouldn't be as bad as they are. Sure. And there is way too much contentment with this group, with who they are. From the players. From the players, yes, yes. as individuals. So... When we looked into the season, I thought, okay, at the very least, it'll be a you know a high eighty point team or a ninety point team. But the level of hubris I'm seeing from these guys this year, I, I now I totally believe they can be under five hundred with the current group, the way they're playing. That's how little dedication I'm seeing to an overall team game and trying to get out of this. I, from their talent, they shouldn't be this bad. But how they're playing, maybe they believe they're going to be this bad. So I'm no longer saying like, hey, they're not bad enough to be under five hundred with the way they're constructed. We've seen thirty seven games of this, guys. At some point, people show you who they are for this season. you got to start believing it. We can look at the paper all we want and say, hey, this should be better than this. No, this is who you are, bro. Like, I'm sorry. This is who you are. This is what you're doing. This is how you're behaving. You're not really going to change meaningfully. So the point was, heading into this season, what could the Canucks have done to tank? Honestly, with how they're playing, Vic, if they would have gone and traded JT Miller and Bo Horvat even before this season, I think that team, with, without those two guys... And the lack of talent, com- comparatively speaking, would be working harder as a group than these guys right now. Materially, how much would have actually changed? Like the, maybe they would be two or four points back of where they I, are. I maybe say, they're in bottom six instead of bottom eight. Their eighth worst over, record. I would say over under 
four and a half points. Because I think if you got rid of those guys and it became more about, hey, you guys, backs against the wall, we're making trades, they rally around, they work a bit harder, maybe there's a different vibe around the group, and they're not good enough as they're constructed. They still would miss the playoffs. They'd still be a bad hockey team, but I don't think they'd be significantly worse than how these guys are playing because of the hubris these guys show up to the rink with. The, the belief that they've got to figure it out. The belief that they can just show up and play all right hockey and not block shots and not lay their body on the line and get a better result. Because these guys ain't playing like they can get out of this in, in, in any meaningful way. So, yeah, with the way these this season is going, they can easily finish here in the bottom eight, bottom six, without even making trades. And I still think they'll make trades by the deadline. 650-650 unsigned here. Canucks will go one in seven or so. Next win, maybe Chicago. They're done. I feel bad for a few of their players and uh, unsigned text here. I uh, went to my first game in 1987. Greg Adams scored twice, and the team won 4-2. It's been downhill from there. Jokes for 60. Jokes for 60. I love the jokes for 60. Keep those coming in on this one. I just love how Ethan Baird destroys the Oilers. <laughs> yes. Uh, he understands the rivalry, like Bick mentioned, and we're all here for it. But interesting comments from... Bulletin uh, board game, I guess, uh, January 21st. The it's Oilers. coming up pretty quickly. Yeah, uh, Ethan Bear. going to trash us. <laughs> well, let's see what happens. We are going to hear from Bo Horvat on the other side, plus Ian McIntyre will join us as we continue here on the postgame show. We'll try to squeeze a phone call in as well and more of your reaction on our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. It's Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Now more of the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Bringing you the most Canucks coverage in BC. Only on the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Drives tied up by Beauvillier along the wall. Horvat dumps it into the right corner in the Islanders zone. Wotherspoon back to it. Is hit into the boards by Garland. But Barzell has the puck and here he comes to center with speed. Matt Barzell to the Vancouver line. Left wing. Casey Sezikis to the goal. He scores! Casey Sezikis off the rush. Rips it into the top shelf past Spencer Martin, and it's 5-2 for the Islanders before the midway mark of the third period. Sezikis gets the goal, but what a play there by Matt Barzell using his speed. Matt Barzell, three-point performance from him tonight, beating the Canucks 6-2 at Rogers Arena. And, yeah, you know, Spencer Martin, tough night between the pipes for the Canucks. The rest of the team, not much better. Canucks losing here at Rogers Arena. Keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox here on the postgame show 650-650 on Sportsnet 650. Dale and Maple Ridge, if there's no money in the league and we can only make one-for-one trades because of the money, what makes you think they'll be traded by the deadline? We need trades for picks and prospects, not one-for-one, Dale and Maple Ridge. I don't disagree. What what I've been saying here is if you're looking at trading um, – Bo Horvat, Luke Shen, those guys that can move. But even Bo Horvat, as you get closer to deadline, you retain, it's going to be easy for you to move that salary. That that can work out. But if you're looking at trading Garland or or Besser, unless you get to the deadline and teams have more cap space because of LTIR or their cap space accrues and opens up, because that's what happens as you get closer to deadline. If you have two million, if you have a million dollars in cap space at the start of the season, if you maintain that cap space, by the time you get to deadline, that one million is now worth five million in terms of the type of player you can acquire. So as you get closer to the deadline, there could be enough money that opens up for somebody to take on a contract to make that type of a deal. That's why we say the closer to the deadline you get, the more likely you are to be able to make that type of a deal. But in re- in reality, any Garland or Besser trade is probably going to have to wait to the offseason where you can maybe offload that money without taking something back. And that's why we keep saying, I'm all for trading Garland and Besser, and it's maybe more likely closer to the deadline, realistically, 
Those are guys you probably look to move in the offseason if you can't make it happen now because it's harder to do in season because of the overall cap situation going on. But it's no excuse to not make some moves, and they certainly have to figure out their UFA situations, and that includes Horvat, Luke Shen, and Andre Kuzmenko. Now, on Bo Horvat, he met with the media postgame, had two goals tonight, did his part. However, the Canucks do lose 6-2, uh, and here he is talking about uh, how they shot themselves in the foot again tonight. Yeah, I mean, I think we... Uh... We kind of did this one to ourselves, um, if I'm being honest. Um, you know, it just every turnover um, resulted in a goal tonight, and um, you know, that, I think that was the story of the game for us. Third period, he's scored late in the second. It's a one goal game going to the third, and then they got that 4 2 goal. You just only had two shots, I think, until you had your power play. Yeah, I mean, again, like it's just, it was, um, you know, we talked about it in here that we wanted to come out strong in the. You know, the beginning of that period, and obviously we had the momentum after scoring that power play goal. And then, um, you know, for us, uh, it was just obviously turnovers are the, the thing that killed us. And, um, you know, we just couldn't get our, our legs under us or our momentum after that. And, and they kept coming. And, um, again, just wasn't a good enough effort by us in the third. Yeah, I mean, they, uh, you know, they're, they're a really patient team. You know, they, uh, they're not going to play that run and gun game. They're, they, uh, they kind of wait for their opportunity to strike, and then they make the most of it. I mean, exactly kind of what happened tonight. And, um, you know, they they waited for their opportunities and, and kind of sat back and then all of a sudden wait for our turnovers. And, and that's what cost us at the end of the day. Uh, you're at 28 goals at this point in the season. Before the season, if you knew that you had this many goals, would you have expected the team to be where they are right now? Uh, no, I mean, obviously not. I mean, I think, um, you know, the personal success is, uh, it really doesn't mean much right now that we're not getting wins. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what we want to do here. We want to make the playoffs and, you know, we want to be in contention. And, you know, obviously I'm trying to do whatever I can to help to help make that happen. Um, but at the end of the day, it's not good enough. So how, do you, how do you avoid looking at the big picture? I mean, you know the math and nights like tonight obviously don't help as a group. How do, how do you? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think if we think like that, then, um, it's going to be even worse for us. You know, we can't we can't have that mindset to, um, to think that we're out of it. I mean, if we do, then we're just giving up on ourselves, and that's not that's not the type of group we have in here. And um, we have to go just focus on the next game. You know, we we win that next one, we're we're um, you know we're one step closer, and then you know move on from there. That is Canucks captain Bull Horvat. Two goals tonight, not enough for the Canucks as they lose six two and. You see a lot of the same things that he says that the rest of the team is talking about. Self-inflicted wounds. We did it to ourselves. You know, and Fast Eddie, Greg Greer, our producer at the uh, at the station, mentions, you know, it's kind of like, like the Radiohead song. It's 90s night. <laughs> 90s night. Do it to yourself. Do it to yourself. You do. I mean, and that's what we've seen from this Canucks team this season. Yeah, a lot of... Really? Sorry. That's... <laughs> well, that's what they do. Like, they, they just consistently cost themselves. And... You know, going back to what Ethan Bear talked about and what we talked about here, this team doesn't hold on to a structure. Bruce says, "Hey, we have a game plan. We know what to do." And then we start playing, and the guys go away from it. There's no, there's no consistency in terms of their discipline either. Like, there's no discipline to stay within their structure. You see other teams, you know, because games will have ebbs and flows. There'll be times in a game, even bad teams are going to have a five, ten minute stretch where they're they're the carry play. Sports. It's the nature of life. There's yeah, ebbs and flows. That's how it goes. But what do good teams do? They weather those things, right? Like, hey, 10 minutes here and there, 10 minutes here and there. We're under siege, but it's not like they lose faith in what they're doing. They'll 
maintain their structure, stay disciplined, try to defend the best they can, not make mistakes, and live to see another shift, live to see another 10 minutes, live to see another period. The Canucks, as soon as things start going wrong or go awry, one guy wants to go hero mode. And one guy goes out of position trying to do somebody else's job. And it completely falls apart. And, and it's been a consistent theme throughout the season. In Calgary, Bick. Man, in Calgary, I, I wanted to be like, hey, you know what? They had they had a good 20 minutes against Winnipeg to start off. And it didn't go their way. But hey, they had two bad periods. Maybe they start play well in the first twenty, and they did. And hey, maybe now you're getting back on roll, and you're not going to let you know some adversity kill you. And as soon as Calgary leaned on them, leaned on them in the second period, same thing has happened against Winnipeg. They folded again. Came a fire. So every time someone leans on them, they can't handle it. And that's the difference here between this team and another team that's more disciplined and more structured because they don't believe in what they're doing out, out there on the ice. Now, we can blame the coach, we can blame the players, whatever it is. I look, at, I look at a hockey team out there that doesn't trust one another and doesn't have faith in what they're trying to accomplish, shift in and shift out. And that's why you see people trying to do other people's jobs. And even the Myers giveaway, uh, which led to the Barzell goal, you watch that, and like I understand there's two Islanders players low, and so if you push it up, it's a good transition opportunity. But Myers isn't even at the puck yet, and you look at all three forwards that are trying to get out of the zone. And we've talked so much about players assuming plays are going to happen, yeah, and not understanding that you know the Islander or the opposition is going to pressure the puck carrier. It's three guys trying to jump the zone, get into the neutral zone, create a transition opportunity. Yeah, and Tyler Myers has to skate to that puck, spin and and flip it to I think he was aiming for Pedersen in the middle. Yeah, but Pedersen, like even if you get that pass, he's going to receive that pass near the blue line. Out of the zone. You talk about centers, you know, being low and slow and supporting the play. And and waiting for your team to get the puck. Pedersen's so far above Myers before he even touches the puck. He just creates these opportunities. And Barzell's sitting there waiting. It's like, well, if that's where that guy's going, I'd have to cover this one lane. And Myers has nowhere to go with it. Now, he's still responsible for that turnover. But it's an easy play to look at the forwards, like all playing for themselves. Are, are you playing within a structure and a discipline that just does not exist? And, Cheating and, and chasing. And when they get down, especially when the, the team scores a goal, it happens real fast for them. And it was, it was honestly funny because we were sitting all together uh, yeah. on press row, and there was a goal, and, and the first line that went out was like Lockwood, Joshua, and Drys. And we just kind of laughed, like this is the response line. Like, this is the group that they put out to, to respond after a goal against. Say, hey, you guys go figure it out. Yeah, and they didn't figure it out. And not that they have been able to figure it out in terms of, you know, bringing that type of a response here. But the, the, the thing that just gets me overall, too, is how this team went from last year under this head coach to being this lost under the same head coach less than a year later. I mean, because it wasn't like they were, you know, they just started losing it now. They've been lost since game one of the season yeah. pretty much. And now, okay, so I would say, and we talked about this too, like one of the things to be worried about this offseason is the lack of stability. Head coach, captain, and all that sort of stuff. One year remaining on their contracts. So some of this is self-inflicted as far as how much do players and people want to buy in. But the challenge was issued of, hey, if the people that don't buy in don't do it because they're individualistic. We'll, we'll find the people that do. Mm-hmm. 
So we're we're kind of in that timeline of what evaluation is being created to say which players aren't willing to play within a certain structure. Yeah. Honestly, there's six guys maybe that you look at and say continually try to do the right things, and even that is sporadic at times with someone like Pedersen even. But by and large, over the course of the season, I would say he's mostly done the right thing. Yes, generally speaking, like over 90% of the time, you'd say you'd, no one's going to be 100%, but like you know, pretty close to it, he's, he's been at that level. Uh, somebody texted in and says, wait a minute, you guys are forgetting about all the comeback games they've had? Fair point about we're saying yeah, they, they lose their structure. But, but what about all the ones that they've given up? No, no, no but, but here's, here's what, we're, what we're saying. They, they've come back from being down three to four goals. When things go wrong, they go down three to four goals because they completely lose their overall play. And what what's been happening is teams let you in to games a little bit once they have a three or four goal lead. And this team has enough firepower that they'll cheat and they'll keep going and they'll be able to score and come back in games. They can do that when they're down three to four. Because guess what happens when you're down three to four goals? The pressure is off. It's off. The other teams kind of relax a little bit. The pressure's off. And look around the league, how many teams are coming back in games now and, and what's kind of happening here. So I'd say, yes, it's a point that, yeah, they come back in hockey games. They're two games under five they They've blown more leads and they've come back from I would also deficits. say, which teams have they come back against? Like The Montreal Canadiens? Have any of them been good teams? No. Not really good hockey I guess the team. Kraken would be the best one? No, the best one would probably be the Colorado Avalanche. That game, they were down two against Avalanche in the third and then came back and won sure. on the road. Maybe that would be the one that was most impressive. That was in November? Yeah. Okay, but like that, That's pretty much it. All the other ones, but even so... Like, They're like bad teams. It's Arizona and it's Montreal. It's San Jose. Teams that let you back into games. And you still fell apart to allow those teams to take three or four goal leads on you. You know, like hockey at times. Yes. That that doesn't show that you have faith and you believe in your system. Yeah, they work hard to come back. You don't give up some nights, but it's not consistent enough. Uh, Aichi says Radiohead songs that describe the current Canucks team: "Let Down," "High and Dry," and "How to Disappear Completely." <laughs> oh, I like that. I'm gonna listen to Radiohead when I get home tonight. Really? Yeah. All right. Why not? Seems strange for a midnight. Why not? Listen. Why not? Maybe maybe that's what although, we're doing. Although I, I, I don't know what the right time to listen to Radiohead is. I don't know if there is a right time. There's never a bad time. I Sorry. Think. I didn't mean to sound like I'm anti-Radiohead. I just mean like is there, is, like is, is there an optimal time to listen to Radiohead? I just think they're a good listen all, all hours yeah, of the day. Yeah, right now, just kind of, now I'm thinking yeah, about Radiohead right. songs and I want to listen to Radiohead. All right. Uh, it just feels kind of sad to listen <laughs> to Radiohead at midnight. Not all their songs are sad. Although, yeah, most of their songs are pretty Most of their songs. Fake fake Plastic Trees, for instance. That's not a very uplifting song. All right. uh, We'll we'll get incredible track. All right. Let's try to get uh, uh, another phone call in here before we get out. Uh, Let's go to Lions Bay where Jose is on the line. Jose, thanks for calling in and hanging on there, man. Uh, What do you have for us tonight? Hey, guys. Hey, Seth. Hey, Vic. You know, you guys made a really good comment about Bruce Boudreaux. Like last season, how do you go from the same coach last year to basically a similar roster with the same coach this year. And outside of the assistant coach changing with Bradshaw and obviously Mike Yo, I think honestly, like at the very, very beginning of the season and in the off season, just think about this. Jim Rutherford was actually quite critical of Bruce Boudreaux and there was one year remaining on his contract. And just think about this for a sec, guys. Like what I think about it, like the guy that you guys, your boss is Cam Barra. If let's Sportsnet, go. so let's, let's let's just play this out. Let's pretend that Sportsnet said, "Hey Cam, 
you know what? We don't think you're great. And uh, guess what? Uh, we're not sure if we're going to renew your contract this year. Do you think it's possible? I'm not really talking about the both of you, but people who report to Cam might not take him seriously when he makes directives or actually proposes changes or, or whatever, because you know his shelf life may not be lasting long. But guys, there's a culture issue in the locker room besides Bruce Boutreau. But just think about it. You mix a culture issue with a coach who may, is probably not going to be around, with a captain who's not going to be around, and you wonder what's wrong. Guys, look at the Jets. The Jets missed the playoffs. The Winnipeg Jets missed the playoffs last year. Their coach, uh, Paul Maurice, left in the middle of the season, okay? And, you know, you think about it, guys. Like, what happened when Rick Bonus came in? He stripped Blake Wheeler of the captaincy, tried to create a more inclusive locker room because I think, you know, Blake Wheeler was probably a little bit like what we see with J.T. Miller, honestly. And I think this team needs a serious culture change. And adding younger guys, according to Patrick Alvin or, or Jim Rutherford, you know, may not be the full answer. Maybe they need some veterans who won who are going to tell JT to shut the hell up. Anyways, guys, back to you. Hey, uh, thanks for the phone call, Jose and Lions Bay. You know, as far as the uh, Canberra... I can assure you we do not take Canberra seriously already. <laughs> Famous last words on the, t- on the post-game show. We don't take anything you says seriously, man. Get out of here. Get called into the office. Yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I, I missed everything that Jose said after that because I was like, I'm just waiting for the call to end so I can get that one in. Yeah. No, I'm just joking. But, but basically, um, but I, I get Jose's call, right? But I think what everybody wants is the change, so to speak, right? And that stuff is just, I don't know. I just... It, it, it's a valid point of like how much uh, do you listen to someone when there's already someone out yeah. who, who seemingly looks like they're on the outs. And it, it, it's, it's a 100% fair point. And again, that's why I go back to at what point did you want to play that card? Look, they've said that they don't want to pay three head coaches. And this head coach was not their decision. At what point do you want to start playing the politics of that? And it's, is it fair or unfair to say that they shouldn't even be considering that? Yeah. But at the same time, it's like that's the reality that they're living in. They chose to play it this way, and you know that's why we have these conversations of if they have a season for hell, from hell, how bad is it really for them? Well, they get a high draft pick potentially, and let's and, th- and they get to start to build the program that they want. Yeah, and you know I want to throw this by Ian McIntyre, the closer, the man we call the triple threat, joining us here on the post game show. You hear him on radio, you see him on TV, you read him on digital, and he joins us here on the post game show. This music almost takes me to a happy place. Almost. Almost. But then I spent so much time around the rink in this hockey team. And then it's just not quite as happy. Not quite as happy. Uh, So people were asking, I mean, uh, Jose was calling in and, and others have been making the point saying, can we realistically expect people to listen to Boudreaux and Boudreaux to be successful if management didn't believe in him to start the season? Is that a fair cop-out for the group? Uh, I don't know if it's a cop-out. That's just reality. Like it's, um, and, and some guys will will play no matter what, and and others it wouldn't 
matter who the coach was. Uh, some guys would struggle no matter what because they, you know, have issues. But there are guys, uh, I think, that would would look at the coach and if the coach is is trying to demand more from them and think, well, this guy's not really going to be the coach. You know, they may not, they may not um, crystallize it quite to that extent. But yeah, it's that's human nature, and that's that's why it's it's better not to have coaches in this position. I remember Jim Rutherford, though, when he was act, asked about this possibility last year, mm-hmm. he said, "If any players tuned out the coach because he was in the final year of his contract, then those players would be gone." They're not gone yet. <laughs> we haven't we haven't really seen anybody leave. I think we're going to though. Like yes. the, there is. There is an understanding within the organization that this just can't go on uh, the way it is. You can't you can't keep trying with this same group of players to find a better result than what you've had uh, the last four years. Mm-hmm. So uh, there will be change, but you're talking about some major deals. Uh, they, you know, are are wary at this point. Uh, to just give away what they think are assets, um, and I'm not talking about Bo Horvat. I'm talking, you know, for instance, you know, maybe Brock Besser. Yeah. Um, they don't want to just give them to a team, so so they're waiting to see what happens before before the trade deadline. But it it they, it can't it can't be. They'll they'll have to be different coach and some different players uh, for the start of next season. What do you I, do? I I I know that people want it now. Oh, They'd yeah, like yeah. it for the start of next week. Yes. I just don't think that's going to happen. And and you know when you are talking about people like Bo Horvat, if you're going to trade him, obviously that's that's something you you have to try to get right. You can't yeah. just you know make a deal just to get Bo Horvat off the team and get a a pick or whatever, and then move on. You got to get that trade that trade mm-hmm. right. But I think we're going to see something ha- some things happen. Before the deadline, I think we're going to see a whole pile of things happen this summer. What do you try to do in the meantime when you're in the between a rock and hard place? Like, what do you try to learn as an organization when you're stuck in this moment before changes happen? I I think learn uh, like as an organization, as a management team, learn yeah, (laughs) learn how much pain you can take. Trust your instincts. Yeah. You know, and and their instincts. When, but that's scary for fans to hear, because I agree with you. But that's a scary thing for fans to hear. Yeah, when their instincts when they came in was that they needed to make some changes, mm-hmm. and then the team went thirty-two. What was it? Thirty-two, fifteen, and ten. I think. Yeah. Thirty finished under Boudreau, and they couldn't get a deal that they really liked in the J.T. Miller saga, and they end up signing him, and I think probably their they're saying to themselves, "Yeah, we should have we should have made some changes last." See, I hope they're saying that from what they're seeing now. We should have made more changes last season. So, I think I think they aren't going to be fooled again, and they'll they'll go without those thoughts uh, this, especially this summer. I think there's going to be a lot of turnover this summer. I think there could be, in addition to trades, uh, there could be some buyouts. Um, so the buyout, I'm curious about because the OEL one seems too onerous. I mean, it's he he's owed 30 million. 
that means you got to pay about $19 million for him not to play for you. And it makes a lot of sense for the cap savings, and I know Bick's on the board with it too. I just don't know if ownership's going to cut that big of a check on it. It's the only one that you can get a reward for, is right. my point. No, and, and I get it, but I don't, I, I'm don't. i skeptical ownership's going to do it. So, but, so if it's not OEL, like, who are we talking about here? Is, is it worth buying out Pearson in the final year of his contract? Or are we talking about Riley Stillman's an easy one, right? It's one-third, and it's only 200 k but it's a million-dollar salary. Like, What are we talking about with buyouts here? Well, I, I think you could you could buy out Tyler Myers. You know, you have you have a huge bonus. If you're paying you the bonus, to, anyways, you have to pay, and so you know you 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 move uh, six million off of your off of your books, a six million dollar cap it, and you yeah. You, you look like no. You no, I, I, was just, I, I think I, the I cap just, penalty next year to buy him out is still going to be five million on the uh, on yeah. the cap to buy him out because of the signing bonus structure of his contract. You're not getting anything out of yeah. that. Yeah, and I mean maybe they do. I'm just I'm just skeptical of the number of buyouts we're going to see because I just wonder who, like who is the real buyout candidate outside of Riley Stillman, which is a minor one. Yeah, that well, I, I think see. T- I think Tanner Pearson as well. Yeah, like final if, year of his contract. Yeah. yeah, I mean the the problem with if you want to try and buy out Ekman Larson. Is what's he got? Four years left. Five, four, five. four, four. Like sorry. this yeah. is this is five. Yeah. His fifth from last year. So he's got four. More. So you're you're talking about punishing yourself for the next eight years, mm-hmm. right? That's that's a lot. That's an onerous charge to take on. Like uh, I think you can you can live with uh, a year or two or a couple of years of pain. I think it's really hard uh, to go. Eight years. The argument I've made is it clears up seven million for a year, and you could, in theory, take on a one-year bad contract, which we've seen teams do, and say at least you can open up the space to get a reward from it. And the nineteen million you got to pay out over eight years, hey, if you get a nice ELC contract out of that, like that starts to eat into some of that value. Yeah, I I think that OEL could end up being bought out, but I just don't think it's going to happen now. Yeah. I, I think there's two uh, opportunities. I, I, think, I think there's too much term, and I also think, honestly, you know, they're going to need some guys who can play defense. And and no matter what you think of of OEL and what they're, they're what, really doing it right what, now. They're, what they're paying him now, well, he's probably yeah. the best guy tonight. Yeah, yeah, fair like, enough. Um, yeah, they're going to need some guys. Like if if you figure that there's a good chance they're going to trade Shen, and there's a good chance they'll find some kind of exit on on Myers. Mm-hmm. Um, you're gonna need some players. Like he, uh, you know. Uh, hopefully, we see Jack Rathbone. Who knows about Kyle Burrows? Um, I think Sat. You did you say at some point recently that you think Kyle Burrows is in their plans? And, uh, I've I've heard they like Kyle Burrows. I don't know if they're gonna necessarily bring him back next season. I think they're open to trading him yeah. too. I, well, I don't think I, they're in see, a situation. I think, there, I think there's a lot of teams that would take on Kyle Burrows yeah, as for a like depth a, guy. For like a sixth round pick or something yeah. along those lines. Yeah. Like that's what we're talking about. Yeah, I mean you could do maybe a Tyler Mott trade. Yeah. Right? And and get get a fifth or a sixth. But you get something. Um so uh you know they, they might need uh Ekman Larson next season, uh, simply because having him here is going to be less harmful long term mm-hmm. than than trying to buy him out. I feel like the, the name we forgot of all those buyouts was Connor Garland. <sighs> he, he's a guy Too I think big. they might be able to move. I, I think yeah. Connor Garland's a player maybe retain salary on, and, sure. uh, and I know you end up, you still end up with a negative charge against your cap, but at least maybe you get an asset. Mm-hmm. Some kind of asset back, probably not much, but 
you know, if you're willing mm -hmm. to retain some salary and you have the flexibility to do it, you know, there there's a, another player that's just fallen off the map. Yeah. You know, uh, and he's had a couple of good games recently. He's been he's been noticeable in a couple of games recently, but you know, where where has his season gone? Like, okay, you know, him and Brock, it just like uh, on a night like tonight, you just it's like and, yeah, you played 17 minutes and 14 minutes, and but it's 11 million. Yeah, and I don't like Garland's game a ton. I, you know, I'm, I'm critical a lot from him. I will say though, it is perplexing outside of recently Boudreaux using him more that Boudreaux hasn't used one of his skill productive players who led the team in five on five scoring last year alongside JT Miller more in offensive roles this season more consistently. Like I do put like the Besser one, I agree. Like Besser's looked mm -hmm. so bad that I get Bruce not playing him, and even the power play stuff. Even you and I are like, well, hey, he's actually giving him a bone, throwing him in the first unit. I don't think Besser's game at any point this season has looked good. I think Garland's has, and it doesn't seem like he gets rewarded. Not to blame all of it on Boudreaux, because I think Garland does have flaws in his game, but I think his lack of production, his lack of finding a spot this season, is more on the coaches than it is on him. Yeah, I would say though, like as far as Assigning blame. Let's say there's there's a blame pie, and, it, and it's got a it's got a hundred <laughs> yes. it's got a hundred slices. Maybe it's date squares. A hundred squares. Oh, very good. Uh, the the Boudreaux blame is like five squares, three squares. Like he yeah. is so far down the list of what's what's gone wrong here. And and I I've covered the team a long time. I I always believe, and it doesn't matter. What the circumstances are, I mean, it does matter, but not, you know, differing circumstances, differing roster compositions, differing personalities, different people in charge. It still is about the bottom line is mm -hmm. it's about the players and are they performing the best that they can? Is each guy playing as well as he can, trying as hard as he can? And so, some years that can happen where guys actually do that yeah. and you still suck because the team's just not good enough. There's not enough talent. But can you say that about this team? Like how many guys out of the the 20, what's on the roster right now, 21 or two, like how many of you, of them can you say, yeah, he's he's done everything he can to, to this point? I mean, Boudreaux noted it himself, you know, three blocked shots at the end of a game that you're pressing to win at the end, you have only six shots on mm -hmm. goal in the third period. Does that does that sound like a team that's just playing all out, doing everything it can? It's not. Certainly clearly. not. They're not. They're absolutely not. And, you know, Boudreaux himself said, he's like, you're asking the wrong guy. I want to win. <laughs> I don't know about the other guys. And I thought that was pretty telling yeah, as well. Yeah, and, and the thing, you know, probably it, it's a great quote, and I love that Bruce is so unvarnished with us at times uh, because he's yeah. – he's, uh, he's so positive, but he's emotional, and it really eats away at him when he when he's losing. Comments like that probably aren't helpful, but no. it's also reflective that you know this is such a strange situation that he's in. He's got nothing to lose. He's been shown very little support um, from management, other than they've continued to pay his paycheck. Mm -hmm. So you know what what's he got to lose? Like he he's just going to say it like it is. It's like it. You know, Torts, even though Torts, mind you, Torts, I think, had four years left on his a pretty contract, lucrative yeah. contract. But when he said this team is stale. And the core is stale. And, and there have to be changes. Like, he knew that he wasn't going to be back and he was going to have his say. And I think right now, Bruce is having his say. He's being honest and telling us how he feels. Um, it doesn't 
but again it i don't know how much if that when that gets back to the players that they say yeah you know coach is right we got to do this and how much they are just you know waiting to see who's going to be the next coach i i think the latter what you mentioned is probably what's going through their minds more than anything and i can't blame him for that ian great stuff as always look forward to reading your latest on sportsnet.ca and hearing you and seeing you on tv and radio, of course. Well, thank you. On shows like Bick Nazar's People Show. I'll be there four. tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah. 310 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I look forward to hearing it. I'll try to come up with some new material. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The material does seem pretty pretty consistent nowadays. By the All way, right. what, what happened to Bruce's head? He's the, got a wound. The great mystery. Yeah, Did no he idea. get hit by a puck? Or a stick? When? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> when? Yeah. When? <laughs> It just seemed to appear. Just kind of oh, okay. <laughs> or maybe he, he just he scratched his head so hard watching this team, doesn't pulled his hair pulled his hair out. <laughs> yeah. Singular, singular. <laughs> oh, poor Bruce, poor guy. Yeah. All right, uh, that brings us to the end of the show. Thanks to Lena and thanks to Eddie for producing the show, and thanks to all of you for being a part of it, listening. We look forward to being back at at it again on the post game show on Thursday against Colorado on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network.